Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Are we okay? Are we doing good? <laughs> there we go. Can I get a witness? A witness. All right. I'm just practicing. All right. Well, hey, this morning, we're giving um, Mark, who has a call on his life to be in ministry, um, we're giving him an opportunity to share the word, to be strengthened and be sharpened. And you know what's one of the most interesting things is most people that I talk to, they have so many complaints about the younger generation. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. All right. But really, there's a lot of complaints about the younger generation, isn't there? Their music, their fashion, their communication style. All they are are either playing video games on the iPad, texting people, or have their headphones on, right? That's a whole lot of what um, we maybe project on that younger generation. Today we have someone who actually wants to be used by God. Like, we have a young person, he's 21 and a half, who wants to be used by God. And not only wants to be used by God, he's actively pursuing it. That's something as a congregation, as people who are here today, that we want to pay attention to. And that's something as a congregation that not only do we want to pay attention to it, we also want to pour life into it. We, we want to speak life into it. So today, what, what I commission all of you guys to do is not only listen intently, but after service, come up to Mark and, and pull the gold out. Don't be patronizing, right? Don't, don't even give him advice today. Mark doesn't need any other advice from anyone else. Leadership will, will oversee that, okay? But pull something, pull something out of him that's, that says, Mark, I really appreciated when you said this in your sermon, and it meant something to me, and this is how it's going to apply to my life. Listen in that way today, and then come out and sharpen him, because this is someone who wants to be used. Amen? Are you on board? So that means get your notes out, and then, and then I'm going to have uh, Mark Miller say the same thing about me next week when I preach. <laughs> After service, no advice. Just pull the gold out. Mark, this, this, this meant a lot to me. So uh, let's pray for him. Father, we thank you for Mark. We thank you for his life. Jesus, we thank you that, that you died on the cross for him, that you're partnering with him, that he said yes to you, and he's choosing you each day. I ask that you would give us ears to hear today, Father, hearts postured before you um, with fertile soil, minds to comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience, Father. Ask that that Mark would be at peace and that he would have fun as he shares your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. All right. So, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mark Snyder. I'm from Mechanicsburg, grew up in Mechanicsburg, graduated in 2016. It's like Joey said, I'm 21. And, uh, Recently went to, after graduating, went to a school in, in California called Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Really, one thing 
that they value is the manifest presence of God in and through people's lives. And so went there. It was a really good time. I learned a lot. And uh, I actually want to share a story about how I ended up back here because initially that wasn't the plan. So left in August 2016. I went there. Two years of school. And then after doing two years, I was like, I need to get out of Reading because like, I need to do something with what I've learned. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to go somewhere that wasn't necessarily reached. So there was this pastor from Bethel that was planning a church in Indianapolis. And I was like, I can do that. So I was on that team for like six months, invested. I was going to go. I actually got accepted an apartment in Indianapolis. And then uh, I remember at graduation for second year, I was just sitting there and uh, during worship. And I, I remember just having this stirring in my heart for home to come back here, Mechanicsburg, Urbana, Champaign County. And so I was just praying about it. And then... Um, and then came back here in June to visit, and uh, I just texted Joey. I was like, you know, you want to get lunch, catch up? And, uh, and we did, and he kind of offered me something here at the church, which actually I remember in uh, October of 2016, my first year, God gave me dreams in the night about MCF and about coming back here eventually. I didn't know if it would be immediately, but uh, I guess it was sooner than planned. So that's how I ended up back here. And so I've been asked to preach today on Exodus 28 and 29, and so we're actually just going to look at verse 1 in chapter 28, and then verses 1 through 7 in chapter 29. So, Exodus 28, 1. And the uh, topic today is going to be consecration of the priest and what that, what that looked like in the Old Covenant and what that looks for like for us in the New Covenant. And so, Exodus 28.1, Have Aaron your brother brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, that they may serve me as priests. So, I think the first thing we need to understand is that the Mosaic Law was set in place for a time until ultimate reunion with God through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Galatians 3.24.26, So the law was our guardian, until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. <laughs> and so this word guardian is actually, it actually has a meaning. It actually has a, a title, I guess, in the ancient world. So wealthy Greek and Roman families had this person called a guardian or custodian who would oversee the young, uh, the young boys, about 16 or 16 and under, their main job was to get them escorted to and from school and then also to attend to their behavior. So their behavior was really the number one goal. And then they also had the responsibility to punish or even discipline the boys. And once the boys reached manhood, they no longer needed this custodian or this um, uh, guardian. And so the word, the word for this custodian is epitropus, which means the one, one to whose care something is committed. And so... <clears throat> I remember in high school reading this verse, and I felt like the Lord uh, showed me something. It's like, in our modern context, you could say it's like a babysitter. And so the law was our babysitter to bring us to Christ. So you think about it today. When a parent is set in place, they, they have a babysitter for a time while the father's gone. And then when the father comes home, Christ, faith, relationship, then the babysitter's long, no longer needed. And so that's what the law is uh, the lost purpose. 
Romans 7, 4, just continuing this. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, died to the law that I might be married to him. So I died to the system so I could be married to the person. And so any covenant that God would make with man would ultimately fail because he's perfect and we aren't. So what God did is he made a covenant with the son and then he put us in him and then put us one in Christ. If you read the epistles, it's all in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And so it's also recognized that the Mosaic law contained prophetic pictures or sometimes called types that would find their fulfillment in the Christian age or the age that we're now living in. And one of those is the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood and what we are now as priests. And so under the law, only one family could serve God in the priest's office. But under the gospel, all saints are a chosen generation in a royal priesthood. So there's no, in the church today, there's no one person or one group set above everyone else's priesthood for all of us are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And uh, we see this in, when God made the, his covenant with, um, with Israel. He said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But they failed because of their sin, but, which ultimately we would have, we would have too. Um, but since our reunion with Jesus, it says in Revelation 1.5, To him who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. So now we are that kingdom of priests in the new covenant. So Paul, in addressing the saints, bids them to present their bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And in the old covenant, only the family of Aaron or the Levitical family could be priests. But now, and it says in Hebrews that no one takes this honor upon himself, but receives it when called of God. It's the same of us in the new covenant. None of us has to be priests, but we received it when Jesus called us, predestined us. So I'm not going to get into predestination today, so don't worry about that. Okay, I want to read 29, 1-7 real quick. All right. Now this is what you should do to consecrate them, so switching, uh, again, consecration, that they may minister to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread and unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil, and you shall make them of fine wheat flour, and you shall put them in one basket and present them in the basket along with the bull and the two rams. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. You shall take the garment and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe and the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod and you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. Then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. So what I want to do is, uh, it's, well, let me explain this first. So I think it's important to understand why consecration. Why do they actually need to be consecrated? And uh, the word consecrate actually means to make holy. And so in ancient, ancient Israel, they lived with the understanding that people could find themselves in one of three categories, either unclean, clean, or holy. So Yahweh inhabited the holy, and of course, unclean animals 
inhabited the unclean. And then a person can find themselves between the unclean or clean based on what they had been doing, touching, eating, and etc. So, um, but even the persons in the, in the clean state, uh, so, excuse me, persons in a state of uncleanness were not allowed to approach anyone or anything deemed holy. Even persons who believed themselves to be in a state of cleanness could suffer dire consequences for coming into contact with that which was holy without authorization. So this consecration process is about taking the clean and making it holy so that they can minister to God. So I'm going to focus on three verses, actually four verses, verse 4, 5, and 6, and then 7. I want to focus on the three steps of consecration we see here and then what's already happened for us. Because all this stuff in the New Covenant has already happened through Jesus. And so what that looks like for us in the New Covenant. So verse 29, 4. Or chapter 29, 4. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So, and now I'm going to read what it, what's already happened for us in the New Covenant. 1 Corinthians six eleven, And that is what some of you were. And in verse 9 and 10, he's talking about all these different sins. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, by the power of the Holy Spirit, instantly made new creations in Christ, washed, head to toe, one time. In the living water of the Holy Spirit, we are cleansed from our original sin. It is Jesus who causes old things to pass away and makes all things new. Through his sanctifying work, we are cleansed from all filthiness of flesh and of the spirit. And it's also interesting to note that in this process, they were washed head to toe one time. So one time they were washed head to toe, and then any time they wanted to enter after that, it was always hands and feet. So just like us, when we receive Jesus, instantly head to toe washed, forgiven, everything's gone. But, so what's the washing of the hands and the feet, that continued sanctification? And so in Revelation 19, it says that the bride will make herself ready, the church will make herself ready for when Jesus comes. So how does she do that? I believe it's Ephesians 5.25. I hope this isn't too much scripture. I, I know I put a lot in there. Um, uh, Husband, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. So, John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father for the church, and he says, sanctify them, or consecrate, make them holy, in the truth. Your word is truth. So God's agent of change in us is the word. That's, that's the way he wants, he wants change done in his people. And so, so I remember, so I guess the question could be asked, like, how does the Bible change me? Wasn't I already changed once as a new creation? Yeah, you were. What the Bible does is it shows you who you've already become as a new creation. So it's not as in it's changing you, it's showing you what you've been changed into. Does that make sense? So, so in James uh, 1.23 and 24, the word is compared to a mirror. It says, for anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face, or gen- and this word for natural face is actually the word Genesis, which is really cool. 
Uh, so you could actually say it's like the birth of uh, our being born again, or it's actually the face of our birth. So being born again, this shows me, man, this is what's available in God. This is what's possible. This is what I'm called to. This is, it's, it shows me who I am as a new creation. For he, is, uh, for he is like a man who looks his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So you see this constantly in the Bible, this theme of <laughs> God approaching or just picking people who unqualified, uh, rejects a society and taking them and, and showing them truth. So there's a, like the story of Gideon, right? So Gideon, he's hiding in, a, in this wine press. He's terrified of his enemy army. <clears throat> and then this angel appears and says, you mighty man of valor. He's not a mighty man of valor. He's hiding. See, I think there's a, there's a world of difference between what's true and truth. What's true is he was scared. The truth is what God's called him to. And it's the same for all of us. And, and that's what the Bible is. It's, it's, it's what's true in my present circumstance. Yeah, I may be a slave to sin. Yeah, I may be fearful. I may be this. But this is truth. And this shows me what I'm actually called to. All right. Exodus 29, 5 and 6. Take the garments and dress Aaron with a tunic. And the robe of the ephod and the ephod itself and the breastpiece, fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully, uh, skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. So step one, so we were washed. So after being washed, step two, we are clothed. And then again, this is us in the new covenant now, Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 3.27 For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So it's after the step of being washed that in that place we're left naked and vulnerable and then we have to have trust in Jesus and his righteousness to clothe us in that place. So we're, called, we're, called, we're told constantly in the epistles to put off the old man and to put on the new. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said about this, he says, they might not wear one of the garments which belong to themselves or to their former calling. Under garments were provided for them and outer garments too. Within and without, their attire was new and appropriate. They put on what was given them, nothing more and nothing less. No man can serve God acceptably in his own righteousness. It is but filthy rags. We must have the fine linen of inward sanctification in the outer garment for glory and for beauty of the imputed righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So another thing to note is that these things were provided for them. They didn't have to labor, weave them, or anything. They just had to simply put them on. Same for us in Jesus. We simply put on what's already been provided for us. Verse 7. Take the anointing oil uh, and anoint him by pouring on his head. Okay, and again, this is so step one, washed. Step two, clothed. Step three, anointed. 2 Corinthians 1, 23, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. <clears throat> so I believe that there's been a lot of confusion for myself and just in the church about what the anointing is or, you know, we've kind of all been taught that the anointing is someone come and they lay their hands on me and I've been anointed by the man of God. 
But I want to offer kind of a different, um, different view of it today. Um, so in Luke, 4, 8, in Luke 4, Jesus stands in the synagogue and he pretty much announces himself as Messiah by reading Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. So the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So we've believed that I'm anointed because I have the spirit. Jesus says I have the spirit because I'm anointed. It's the same for us. So we aren't anointed because the spirit's upon us. The spirit is upon us because we're already anointed. Being anointed happens first, and then the spirit comes upon us because we are anointed. So the word for anoint comes from the word creo, which, makes, which means to consecrate to an office. So we see in, in um, <clears throat> Exodus here that when he's anointing them, he's consecrating them to an office. And somewhere along the way, we believe that the anointing is something different. And so in Galatians 4, it says, And because you are sons, God sent his spirit into our hearts. So because you are something, God came, his spirit came and met that anointing. So because we already are something. So this, um, the anointing comes from being a son, and because we are sons and daughters, the spirit of the Lord came upon us. Uh, being a son is the same as being anointed. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, uh, Samuel anoints Saul as king over Israel, and he anoints him, and then in verse 6 he says, and you will be changed into another man when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. So he was first anointed, and then the Spirit came upon that anointing. So the anointing has nothing to do with power. The Spirit of the Lord has to do with power. The anointing has to do with position. The Spirit is the power to accomplish the position. So in Luke 4, even when Jesus, he's reading, he says, because the Spirit has anointed me, and then, he, and then he reads off what he's anointed to do, to uh, bring freedom to captives, recovery of sight to the blind. So the Lord anointed him for that position, and then the Spirit of the Lord came and met that anointing. Does that make sense? All right. Um, so when we receive Jesus, we're put in a position as sons, and then the Spirit came and met that anointing. All right, so that's the three steps of, of priesthood. Anointed, no, sorry. Washed. Clothed and then anointed. And then, so, I think it's also important to know what is now our, our ministry as priests in this new covenant? What does it actually look like for us? And, you know, it, even today, there's like, deliver, there's like different ministries in the church. So, one person might have a deliverance ministry or a healing ministry. And none of those things are bad, but in the Bible, you don't actually really see that as in like one person was set apart for a particular ministry. What we see is, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, it's the ministry of reconciliation. We've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this is uh, the verse. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So we know in John 20, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So that's him giving us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them, and he was uh, um, committed 
to us the same message of reconciliation. So to, in order to understand our ministry of reconciliation, we need to understand Jesus' ministry of reconciliation, what that looked like. I believe it's in Matthew 4.23. I think this really encapsulates it. Encapsulates it? I don't know if that's the word. <laughs> Matthew 4.23. <clears throat> Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Teaching, proclaiming, healing. Okay, so we know a priest ministers on behalf of people between God and man. So that's now our ministry as a kingdom of priests. So in order to reconcile man to God, we have to reconcile the whole man. man okay, I'm not getting weird here. Okay, first in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So man has three parts. He has his spirit and his soul and his body. And I believe we see here Jesus reconciling the whole man to God. So proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That's preaching the word. That's, that's salvation of the spirit. That's reconciling the spirit to God. Teaching in their synagogues. That's reconciling the soul, the mind, the, the renewing of the mind to God. And then healing that's reconciling the body to God, the whole man. And so now that's what, that's what our ministry is. It's priests as ministers of reconciliation to the whole man, to God. And then I want to leave a, a final point. And this is kind of my challenge point, I guess you could say. Um, and it's the Lord, our inheritance. Um, so in Leviticus, so... In the Levitical priesthood, I'll just read the verse. <laughs> verse 18, 1 and 2. The Levitical priests, indeed the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their, their fellow Israelites, for the Lord is their inheritance, as he promised them. The Lord is their inheritance. I remember um, in the summer between my first and second year school of ministry, it was, uh, it was pretty rough. Uh, all the other students left, go home for the summer, and I stayed. So it was just, it was lonely. I battled with anxiety and depression. And it's funny how those two always go together, anxiety and depression. And then... Uh, got a job at Domino's, and I hated it, <laughs> so I quit after eight days, and then I got a job at McDonald's, which, believe it or not, was way better, so, um, so I was, uh, yeah, so that summer was just difficult, just not fun, and uh, you think that God would just come along and say, all right, son, pick it up, you know, got to move on, but, you know, it says in the Bible that whom he loves, he corrects, and so the Lord just began working in my heart and asking me this question of like, is Jesus enough for you? And the Lord, this is the Lord, our inheritance. So the, the priest, as a king of priests, the Lord is now our inheritance. So is he enough for us? So as I just recognized that the Lord was doing this work in my heart, I just began praying, asking the Lord. I was like, God, just kill me. Like, I know you're doing this work in my heart. I, I, you're doing it. I can't add any more to it. So I just have your way in me. Just do something in me. And so um, 
when I was praying this, I was asking him to take away all the selfish ambition, all the, the need to be seen, the need to be known, the need to have somebody say something good about you, whatever that is. And so all sense of lack or the need for things to go right or for people to notice us comes from the lie that he is not enough. And it's actually the original lie. Um, in the garden, uh, with Eve tempted in the garden, the serpent says to her, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, the, when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's the lie? God's holding out on you. He's got something more. He's hiding over here, here over there. He's, he's, he's holding back. There's something more. I mean, you could, ha- you could have more if you did something more. If you did something more, you could have more. So, and then Jesus came, and he showed us a new way, because we're called to follow Jesus. And he says to the, to, um, in John 5, he says, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you don't have the love of God in yourselves. And then in Ephesians 3, when Paul's praying for the Ephesians, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So to know the love of Christ is to be with, filled with all the fullness of God. That is the fulfillment. That is the, the, the thing. I think for so long the church has been looking for something it already has in Jesus. And I think it's just realizing what we already have. And so the love of the Father extinguishes all need for human approval. In Matthew 18, Jesus says that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who humbles himself as a child. When you think about it, how are children humble? They're not selfishly ambitious. They have, they just enjoy life. They're not looking, they're not self-conscious, they're not self-aware, they're not looking for someone to notice them, but they just enjoy life, and the simple things are enough. And somewhere along the way, we believed that the simple things weren't enough anymore, and we needed more. So we went and got more, we sought more, we did more, but... It'll never be enough. And then so this pattern follows in 1 Corinthians 3, 21, 23. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, because they're having these divisions and these fights and these strifes, and he's saying, listen, all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So all that the Father has, or ours, is co-heirs in Christ. So if all things are mine, why would I need something else to fulfill me? Why would I need someone to say something nice about me? Why would I need someone to see me if all things already belong to me? The story of the prodigal son. After the prodigal returns home, the older brother, so there's actually two prodigals in the story, the one who came home, and then the elder brother. Um, the elder brother becomes angry because he didn't get a fattened calf or anything his brother did, though he served his father faithfully for years and never neglected a command. The father then says, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. So somewhere along the way, the son believed that the father wasn't enough, and he wanted validation for what he did rather than who he was. And that's what I wanted. Even though Jesus said, I can do nothing apart from the father, Yet I wanted to do something apart from the Father because then I could have something to boast in. But now having to receiving Jesus, 
the, the point of the cross is to take away all boasting. Paul says in Galatians, he says, God forbid I boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. So though he was a son, he was living as a servant and not a son because he wanted validation for what he did rather than whose he, belonged, than whose he was than who he belonged to. And again, in Mary and Martha, Martha's doing all the serving and doing all the things, and Mary's sitting at his feet. And then Martha gets frustrated, comes to Jesus. Jesus, he's left me to do all the serving. Or she's left me to do all the serving. And Jesus responds, he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Not two things, not one thing. One thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. I love that, which shall not be taken away from her. That's the lie that I believed. I believe the lie that there was a balance between Mary and Martha, that you can be married today, but you really need to get your Martha on, and you need to start doing stuff, you know? And so I believe that there was that, that difference, because Mary lived with the understanding that she was enough for Jesus and Jesus was enough for her. That, that they satisfied one another, that they were enough for one another and they didn't need anything else. So rest, rest is not the opposite of work. Rest is a person. Rest is Jesus. So it's, co- we, it's called co-laboring with Christ. So rest is not the opposite of work. Rest is with a person. I can work and rest at the same time because I'm doing it with him. So even in in Ephesians 2.10 where it says uh, that he prepared works beforehand for us to do, it's it's not that he needs us to do the works. The works are for our sake so we can have a legacy and leave something to to speak for our lives and eternity in heaven. The works aren't for him. He gets... Yeah. Amen. So, again, all this comes from the understanding that Jesus wasn't enough. And, uh, and even in that Martha, Mary thing, I, is, I often find myself trying to make something happen. Because Martha was making sandwiches that Jesus never asked for. But So, as I began to pray this prayer and the Lord just working in my heart, he began to take away the things that I could show off as things that I had done instead of what Jesus had done for me. I began to realize that even though Jesus said plainly, I can do nothing apart from the Father, I wanted to do something apart from the Father so I could have something to boast in. And again, in, Galate, in excuse me, Philippians 3, Paul says, if anyone has reason to boast in the flesh, I much more. Circumcised the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, he says, but I've counted all to that garbage that I may gain Christ and may know him and the power of his resurrection. So we brought nothing into this world and we're not going to take anything out. The only thing we're going to take with us is Jesus. It's the only thing. So if, and I felt like the Lord gave me this, this saying, if, if Jesus wasn't enough for me, then nothing would ever, would ever be. If you think about that, if Jesus isn't enough for me, then nothing ever will be. So, um, yeah, I just, I want to offer you a, uh, I want to offer everybody, if you want to make that recommitment, say, Jesus, I'm sorry for making it about different things. I'm sorry for 
making it about ministries or doing things, if you want to return that simple place of childlike faith and abiding in him, then I just invite you to come forward today. So, um, so Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Father, I pray that you would be enough for us again. That it wouldn't be about ministries or how much we could do or anything you could do through us, Father, but just being with you. That we would again return to the true vine and learn to abide. Teach us to abide again, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, there it is. So Mark gave us, um, he put something out there for us to answer, answer to. God, I need more of you. God, I want more of you. God, I want you in that right place. You are enough. Jesus, you are enough. He gave us the opportunity to respond today to make that declaration. See, Jesus also says, look, if you deny me in front of man, what will he do? He'll also deny us. See, see, that's what I really feel like coming to the altar represents. God, I'm going to cry out to you in front of man. I'm not afraid to identify with you today. Mark said, if you want more of Christ... If you say that Jesus is enough, then to respond. Is Jesus enough for you today? So what we want to do is we want to take the next couple moments. We, we have some nice music on in the background. Will you respond? If Jesus needs to be enough for you, will you respond in this moment? Don't deny him. If there's anything in there, will, will you respond? take the next couple moments and do this. You just come up here and you, you tell Jesus that. Jesus, you are enough. I even saw just um, God putting on young people uh, this morning. Like God's doing something in your heart and you're not even sure what it is. Um, just, just respond to that. I feel like Jesus wants you to respond at the altar. So if, um, if God's working that, don't be afraid to respond.
I believe that the um, person of Jesus is becoming real today. That the actual presence of Jesus Christ, the person, is here today. So I feel like the Lord just wants to become real. So let him encounter you however you feel. However he wants to encounter you. I saw um, just this picture of uh, people being set free of addiction today. And addiction can be in many things. So uh, let's just pray for that. If there's addiction in your family or friends or uh, even within your own heart, let's just pray for that. Father, I pray today that, that you would set us free from addiction. Father, that your blood would restore and the ministry of reconciliation would overcome addiction, Father, in our communities, in our families, within ourselves. Set us free. Any self-evaluation that we've believed ourselves to be other than what Jesus already says we are needs to be turned in. And so any mirrors we've put up for ourselves or anything we've believed about ourselves that is opposite of what he says needs to be turned in. So let's just turn in our mirrors. Any, any lies we believed and past things that are holding us back, just let those things go and let him determine who we are. Let's end on that note today. And uh, if you have a mirror to turn in today, 
the way that people think of you, the way you think of yourself, the way you feel like you're unqualified or you're ugly or you're not the right size or everyone hates you, these mirrors that you see yourself in, if you can identify one of them today and you're turning it in, then just stand with me and we're going to pray. Father, we give you these mirrors. We break them. Father, you broke them. In Jesus' name, you broke them. Help us walk that when we look in the mirror, we see Jesus. That we see the blood over our lives. Father, we see everything that you've given us. May we walk with boldness today. With the power of of the Spirit, full of the Spirit today. May we have peace today. Father, may today be a new day for us. Set us free. Father, we are who you say we are. We are chosen. Father, we are redeemed. We're called. We're anointed. We're loved. So may we walk in that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you need some, um, if you need physical healing today, if you need some prayer, then um, the elders and some leaders would like to pray for you. Be sure before you leave to encourage Mark. Don't dominate his time, but encourage him.